Well, good morning and happy new year to you. Um, I am not Chad Gilbert, as you already know. I keep every. I feel like when I preach, we're waiting on Chad Gilbert. So um, <laughs> he will. I promise he's coming. I promise. We've we've waited long enough, and um, I'm already very encouraged by. Chad and his spirit of humility and even the leadership that he's displayed, even as he prays for us um, as we get ready this morning. Again, my name is Larry Lyon. I'm a member here at FBNO. Um, I do a few things over at the seminary as well. And so I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to join with you, my fellow believers and members, um, saints of FBNO this morning and next week. I jokingly said next week, uh, I actually get um, a full week to prepare for a sermon. So this will be, this is actually really nice. No, no. Um, it's, uh, it's been a blessing to join, or my family joined in, I believe, February, just before everything got crazy in the world. Um, and uh, it's been a blessing to us to get to know many of you and especially having the opportunity to join with you um, from this place. Uh, I've got to know many more of you, so uh, thank you for that. So welcome, welcome to those that are watching online. We're glad that you are with us today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 today, Hebrews chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but if you are like me in any way, 2020 was um, unbelievably crazy. None of us expected that. I doubt that any of you, when you made your resolutions last year, that it included getting better at Zoom and making friends through a screen or trying to learn how to fellowship with fellow believers in different ways or to just try to stay healthy. 2020 has wrecked much of what we just took for granted. Our loved ones have been sick or scared. Our country has seen turmoil and pain. Our election cycle has demonstrated much greater division than it has unity. It has been a hard year. And the first few days of 2021, we, our pastor has to quarantine. So whatever we thought would magically happen at midnight, it didn't do it. It hasn't happened. If any of this time has taught us anything as we've gone through this turmoil, we've watched the things on TV, we've tried to work with one another, we've seen our loved ones sick and pass away. If any of this has told us anything, it's that cheap and easy faith isn't going to cut it. That bumper sticker slogans and fortune cookie Christianity is insufficient. And that even as we roll into this new year, that new year, new you doesn't really help us. We have to have confidence in greater things. We have to have confidence in better things. And so this is what we're going to look at this morning 
in Hebrews 6 is that we would have confidence in the better things. And we're going to see exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us are the better things. Elizabeth Elliot said that New Year's Day, so this, even this first Sunday, New Year's Day is a good time to fix one's eyes on the only one who knows what this year is to hold. Last year, we probably made a ton of goals. You may have done so this year. I want us to fix our eyes on the only one who knows really what this year is to hold before us. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you that we have this time together. God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that we will see that there are indeed better things. And that doesn't mean that we are healthy or wise or wealthy or any of the things that the world would tell us is better, but instead that we will see that the better things are found in you. And that real change and real lasting perseverance can only be found when we anchor ourselves deep into you. So I pray that you would bless our time as we read your word, as we study it, as we hear it, as we think on it, that you would bless our time. And that it would encourage us and spur us on. The days are evil and hard and we need your help. So speak to us now through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, if you'll read along with me. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to read verses 9 through verse 20. 9 through 20. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show you his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become 
a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This morning, I want us to be confident of the better things that the writer of Hebrews points out to us. And we're going to just walk through this passage ever so briefly and just identify the things that he wants us to be encouraged about, to be confident about, so that we can continue to persevere, to have assurance, and to trust in Christ for whatever the days hold for us. Just before this passage, the writer of Hebrews has been rebuking the church, the believers that would read this letter, for those that are guilty of apostasy, those that have walked away from the faith, who have seen that Christ is in fact good, yet they walked away and they pursued other things. But then he turns his attention to those that are reading this letter and he says, but this is not true of you. He calls them dearly loved friends. These, he's speaking to the church here. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's looking at the church and he's saying, listen here, friends. That, that's not true of you. you. Those of you who have held firm to the faith, let me encourage you with better things now. And this is what he says to us as First Baptist New Orleans, as we begin 2021 to encourage us to be confident in the better things. So what are these better things? First, it's this, that God is just. We see this in verses 9 and 10, that God is just. It says, even though we're speaking in this way, addressing the apostasy, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. God is not unjust. The double negative there is intentional by the writer. This is, it's not just God is just. That is a true statement. He says it in a different way with a double negative to make sure that we are clear that God is not unjust. And in a world where we wrestle with what justice is and how we activate it. That's what we do know is that God by very definition in his character is just. He is fair in all of his deeds and he is fair in the way in which he watches us and the way in which he judges us. A better thing for us is that God is just and when we don't understand justice or how to implement it, we know that we have access to a God who tells us what is just and is by his very nature just. A better thing is that God is just. So what does that mean for us as we see in the text in verse 10? One thing I'll say is this, is that God sees you. Whatever station of life you find yourself in, whatever situation, whatever 2021 brings or what 2020 brought, God sees you. He knows you. He loves you and he cares for you. How many times has that thought brought comfort to us that God sees us? He's aware. He's near. But not only does God just simply see us, he sees your work. 
He knows the things that you've done in his name, FBNO. He knows your perseverance in waiting and searching and praying and laboring for a new pastor. He knows the good work that you have continued to do in this city and for your fellow believers and for unbelievers and those that are far from God and hurting. He sees your work. And whether or not you ever get a pat on the back or recognition for it, God sees you and he knows. That should motivate us and compel us that in our work of serving the saints, it does not go unnoticed, but rather faithful work. God is just to see it. John 13, verses 34 and 35 say this, I give a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus tells us that the way that we have loved one another and the way that we will love other Christians tells the watching world whether or not we are his disciples. God encourages us in that. But let me also say he warns us with that. The world is in fact watching. God not only sees the work you've done serving the saints, He sees those times to which perhaps the way you feel about the political situation is sown discord and disunity with other believers. He sees what a lack of love and service towards others has demonstrated to the world that you are in fact not his disciple. That when you've posted that thing or you've thought about posting that thing on social media in response and in anger and in frustration in your heart, that you're not loving your fellow believer well. Let this be a warning for us that this new command that Jesus gives us to love one another because the outside world is watching. The way we love the saints matters. And if there's anything in your heart or in your activity, in your speech that sows disunity among the believers and does not show the fruit of the Spirit, Happy New Year, it's sin. It's a warning to us. God sees that as well. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. The things that you do in secret are seen. So while it is an encouragement to us, it is also a warning that God is just. But Paul says to us in Galatians this, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those that belong to the household of faith. God is just. He wants us to continue to work, to love others, especially the church, but to work for the good of all. What's a better thing for us? That God is just.
Even when we fail at these things, even when we need the encouragement, God is just. And that when we fail, he has sent his son that he might reconcile us and redeem us again and again and again. That's how his justice operates. So not only is God just, that's one of the better things that we can be confident in. But a second thing is this, is that God is generous. God is generous. We see this in verses 11 through 15. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you. And I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. God is generous. And there are a few ways that we see his generosity and there are things that we participate in to see and to receive his generosity. The first thing is this, that we should demonstrate diligence. We should demonstrate diligence. And what does that gain for us? Well, how is God generous in our diligence? He gives us full assurance of our hope. This is not questioning or wavering that he gives us full assurance that what he is saying is true and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, regardless of what the days and the world have for us, that we can have hope in Christ Jesus in the work that he is doing. Full assurance. And what's his warning? If we can have full assurance, it's don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Lazy here means uh, dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. And I'm sure we can picture in our minds exactly what that means. Dull of hearing. Not hearing or receiving or paying attention. It's not just this laying around and not doing anything. It's that we don't even pick up what's going on around us. That we would not be lazy. particularly in our faith, that we would have full hope instead. So how do we do that? How do we not be lazy and dull of hearing? How do we rest in this full assurance of our hope? How does this diligence provide this for us? It's this, that we would commit ourselves further to the mundane diligence to love Christ in everything. And I choose the word mundane intentionally because I mean in just the run-of-the-mill, everyday part of our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. I wonder how often we stop and think when we drink that juice or eat that uh, taco or whatever it is and do it for the glory of God. Now I can eat tacos for the glory of God, I promise, but How often do we let those small things just pass by without ever a thought? And if we do it in those small things, how often do we make those decisions about our lives and how we go about them and maybe in our workplace or as we deal with our family or any of those things and we never give God a thought? 
It's not that we just haven't prayed about it or that we haven't considered what the repercussions are. It's that we don't even think of God. How do we demonstrate diligence so that we can have full assurance of hope? Whether you eat or drink, whether you get up or lie down, no matter what it is that you do in every little thing that you strive to give glory to God. God needs to be on your mind so that he is on your lips. He needs to be everywhere in everything that you're thinking about and doing. Do you do you do that? Is God on the forefront of your mind? Is what you're considering the next thing that you eat, the next thing that you drink, the next thing that you decide, the way you conduct yourself, the way that you pursue the things that you love the most, do you stop to think that there's a better thing and that's the glory of God? We encourage you to do that today, that you would commit yourself further to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the smallest, littlest things of your life. God is generous and he promises that when we do that, he receives the glory, but that there is the obtaining of the promises of God for us. So how do we continue to do that? Again, I, I think all the time. So, okay, what does that mean? How do I do that? The writer of Hebrews tells us, he says that we would imitate the inheritors. Imitate those who will inherit the promises. But imitation is the opposite of being lazy. It's acting like someone else. It is mimicking. This word imitation is right here in this text. It means to mimic someone else. It means to mimic those who are inheritors of the promise. Imitate other Christians. Imitate other Christians. But not only do we imitate other Christians, we should first imitate Christ. Jesus says in John 13, 15, for I have given you an example you should do just as I have done for you. I mean, Jesus expects us to act like Jesus. He expects us to act like fellow believers. He expects us to be spurred on on our faith. How is God generous to us? He has given us a room full of fellow believers that we should be able to imitate so that we can follow Christ well. Not only that, Hebrews 12.1 tells us, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Right? Not only has he given us fellow believers in this room, he has given us the whole host of believers who have ever lived. Who are the heroes of the faith for you? Follow them, imitate them. Pursue the things that they are doing. What's this look like? I don't know, if, maybe if you're like me, you, you get lost easily. We, we joke, all, I joke all the time with my wife. She was a Girl Scout, so she knows directions really well. I forget my way. I've been driving to this church for over a year and I, you know, sometimes I have to be reminded of directions. I'm terrible at directions. So I get lost fairly easily. 
when it comes to this thing. So maybe you've been in an airport or in a foreign country and you get off the plane and you stand there and you stare around and you don't know what to do. What do you naturally do? You start watching what everybody else is doing. Maybe you've been like me. Last year was my first Mardi Gras. And of course, I had no idea what to do. Um, and uh, it was, I ended up going to, we went to 17 parades. So I figured it out eventually. Uh, and, and I'm really sad because we had a lot of fun. But I had a friend who took his time and basically showed me all the ropes. Here's where you put your tarp. I didn't know that tarps were basically sacred ground. I know now. I didn't know that if I put my chair up that nobody would ever touch it and it would be perfectly safe and you could leave coolers and valuables and other things. And as strange as this city is, nobody would ever touch it. I had a mom and a dad apologize to me one time because a young kid stepped on our tarp. I thought, this is crazy, but I had no idea. But what did someone do? They showed me. They showed me where to go, what to do answered all my questions, explained all the crazy details to me. And when I didn't understand what was happening, they showed me even more and how to act and scream and yell for plastic things that I'm going to give away for donuts later and beads and all of the crazy things that we do at Mardi Gras. They helped explain it to me. It's a bit like that. Are we the sort of people that can show others what all this craziness of Christianity is? That we would surrender our lives to these sorts of things. And when somebody says, well, why do you do that? That you show them, you demonstrate it to them. You point out all the, the silly things and the fun things and the beauty of living in Christ. You tell them to imitate you as you imitate Christ. Paul says that in multiple times throughout his letters. This is what Chad and his family will do for us. We'll be able to imitate him as he imitates Christ as our pastor. But this call is actually for all of us. That we would allow others to mimic us in our faith, in our practice. This is the model of discipleship. That as we follow Christ, we call others into it. And God is generous enough to give us one another to do that. So that we don't have to be left out and not knowing why this or why that or make sense of strange things like eating a piece of bread and drinking a cup. And that's supposed to help us to remember what God has done for us. He's given us fellow believers that we would learn. And what, what do we develop out of this? faith and perseverance. The good news is, is that we continue to grow in our faith and perseverance. And as we grow in our faith and perseverance, we are like Abraham. And when we wait patiently, we obtain the promise. The writer is setting up for us as we walk through last year, uh, Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. He's already setting us up for this, that we would look to Abraham as a model of faith for us, that as Abraham trusted God, so should we, because the great promise that we receive is the blessing of faith in our lives. Waiting patiently, 
God is generous in our waiting to allow us to have full assurance of our faith and our hope and obtain the promise of our own resurrection. That day is coming. And with all the things that are going on and all the disruptions and all the frustrations, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us this, that a proven faith is worth more than gold. A proven faith is worth more than gold. So while you think about what lies ahead and what has gone before, God is working on your faith because it will be better than anything that you might obtain in the short term. A proven faith is worth more than gold. God is generous. We can be confident in the better things. First, that God is just. Number two, that God is generous. And the third thing this morning is this, is that God is our anchor. God is our anchor. Verses 16 through 20 tell us this, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Praise God, our hope has a name. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God is our anchor. He himself is where we place all of our trust. The word choice of anchor here is on purpose. We all know what anchoring is, whether it's on a boat or in a wall or whatever it is, it is being anchored. It is strong and secure. It holds us in place. It keeps us from slipping. It keeps us from drifting away. It keeps us secure. God is our anchor. What a better thing for us to place our hope in because if we place our hope in anything else, it will surely fail. God is our anchor. How do we know this? First, it's this. God's word is sure. God's word is sure. Writer of Hebrews says what? God made an oath to us. Right? How many of us at some point have said, well, I, I swear to. I promise on my... We make these sort of oaths, but we have to make it outside of ourselves for it to really count. God can't do that. There's nothing greater by which he can swear by. So what does God say? My word is my bond. It is my oath. God's word is sure. He says that he confirms that on his own self, the promises that he has made. Just as a question, this is a point of application for us. Do we take God at his word? Do you take God at his word? 
Do you take God at his word? Do you know his word? Do you know the promises that he's actually made? Do you know the things that he's actually said and spoken about and done? Not the bumper stickers that we assume are true, but are we sure of this word? Let me encourage you. I told you the first time I preach, I'll always tell you to read your Bible. So God's word is sure. Read his Bible. Read the good gift that is the word of God to you so that you can be sure in the right things and not things that we just assume about God. Know his word. God himself is our anchor. He cannot lie. He himself is truth. And because of that, we can seize the hope. It's ours for the taking. God grants it to us and he is fully truthful in all things. And how do we know that to be true? Because Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the guarantee. Jesus is the one who makes all of this possible. In verse 20, he's our forerunner. He is the one that has gone before us to make all of this possible for us. He is, we'll see later in Hebrews 12, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why is it that Elizabeth Elliot would say to fix our eyes on God? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. If you're not looking at him, it's not perfect. It's something else. We fix our eyes on Christ. And when we fix our eyes on Christ, we have the model. We have the reason for our hope. It says that he's become our high priest. Which means that he not only makes God known to us as a priest, as a representative, but he also represents us before God. That's good news for us this morning, that the great exchange of 2 Corinthians 5 has taken place of 521, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus represents us before God. So God sees Christ for those of us who are believers and have trusted in him. He represents us as the high priest, which means that we are found as righteous. We get his righteousness in exchange for our wretchedness. We get his perfection in our fallen state. That's a good deal. That is the great exchange. And Jesus guarantees this for us. We can be confident of the better things. God is just. He sees your work. Continue to be faithful. He's generous. He blesses us beyond our imagination. He gives us fellow believers that we can follow, that we can trust. He gives us the ability to have full assurance of our faith. We don't have to wonder or to be lost. And God is our anchor that in him we can be unmoved we don't have to be shaken or dismayed 
He himself is our anchor, and he has made it possible because of Christ Jesus. So what does that mean for us this morning? What does that mean for us? Let me make a couple points of application as we get ready then to move into an invitation of what we should do because of this. The first is this. Fix your eyes on Christ. Be encouraged this morning that he has made himself known. That you can, in fact, see Jesus Christ through his scriptures and through his people, through the power of the Spirit, and recognize that you can anchor yourself to him. Look to Jesus. If you're not a believer, if you've not trusted Christ, the same thing is true for you. Look to Jesus. The great exchange that those who have trusted in Christ Jesus They're new creations. We get his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. The gospel tells us that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But that God demonstrates his love in this way towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then when Christ dies for us and we trust in that, our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. And then when Jesus, we know the New Testament tells us that he raises from the dead, that he is the Lord of all of creation, that when we place our hope and trust in that, then we have the own, our own hope, this hope that the author of Hebrews talks about. Full assurance that God is near to us and loves us and that one day we will be resurrected to spend eternity with him and with one another. That's the great exchange. If you're not a believer, trust in Christ today. The second thing is this. Let me encourage you that because of the confidence that we have in the better things to do this, to demonstrate the goodness and the graciousness of God. To demonstrate the goodness and graciousness of God. I want to end on this quote as we move into a time of invitation. Francis Schaeffer, who passed away in 1984, many of you may know his name. He is a Christian evangelist and one who wrote many books helping Christians understand how to navigate this world. He offers this encouragement about our calling in Christ. I want to encourage you with this this morning. Francis Schaeffer says this, Our calling is to exhibit the existence of God and to exhibit His character, individually and collectively. God is holy and God is love. And our calling is to simultaneously to show forth holiness and love in every aspect of life. As parent and child, as husband and wife, in business, in our Christian organization, in the church, in government, in everything. An exhibition of the character of God showing forth his holiness and love simultaneously. How do we demonstrate that we're confident in the better things? We demonstrate God's character and his love to those around us. May you be encouraged to be confident in those better things, to be compelled to demonstrate 
his goodness and his graciousness in the days ahead. As we move into a time of invitation, let me offer just a couple of things. I want us to spend this time just praying before the Lord. If you're a believer, ask God to continue to be near to you, to demonstrate his love to you so that you can demonstrate his love to others. Perhaps you commit yourself once again to his glory and all the small and mundane things of life. Maybe you commit yourself to be in his word more, to pray, to gather with other believers more faithfully. Perhaps it's just simply saying thank you for the work that Christ has done. If you're not a believer, I would encourage you to take this time and pray to receive Christ. There'll be pastors up front, those that if you have questions about what that means or you just want to talk to someone about it, we can do that. We've got space to where we'll talk with you about what it means to be a Christian. But more than anything else, let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, the only one who knows what tomorrow is going to hold. Pray with me and then we'll have our time of invitation. Father, thank you for the gift that is your word. Thank you that you have loved us so richly that you desire for us to know that you are just, that you are the giver of good gifts and you are generous and that you are our sure anchor and that you have made an oath by your own word and that you have guaranteed it in Christ. We pray that we would be found faithful in the days that lie ahead, in this new year and in every day that you give us breath. Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you gave yourself for us, that we would know your redeeming grace. God, I pray for each of us in here to love you and to demonstrate your goodness and your graciousness to the world around us. Thank you for the gift that is your word that is sure. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.